he's not going anywhere. You know, he's, he's got a lot of money uh, riding on his contract, and um, I don't think anybody's going to, you know, put up a lot of money. But, you know, he's one of the best in the game, and anything can happen in this business. You just never know. It just goes to show you, man, that front office and the, and the coaching staff is in turmoil, and Josh McDaniels continues to sing this same rhetoric that he did in Denver. Let's go! The Football Frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. 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 All right, here we go. Three o'clock hour. Cofield and Company at Silver Sevens. Willie Ramirez is here as well. We'll do a little more preview of a very different looking Raiders Niners game. That's coming up in just a couple of minutes on New Year's Day as uh, one of the guys from the game in the San Fran area will join us. Lots more Derek Carr on the way. A lot more national reaction and our local reaction to the announcement yesterday that Carr first would be benched for Stiddy the rest of the way. And then, two, that he's walking away from the team. I, I don't The whole distraction thing, I don't get it at all. And then we'll talk about Derek Carr's future as well and the Raiders' future. There's already odds out for who will be the Raiders quarterback in week one. We've talked about since the top of the show. This is the first time I've seen you since before Christmas. What was your initial reaction? Because you, I mean, I know you did the show yesterday. You did a spot two days ago. But what was your, I mean, because we, we, like you said at the top of the show, we all knew at some point this could be coming and probably would be. But that initial, how it was handled, what took place? Sounds about right. I literally had like almost no reaction. I, I know you guys had talked about it on Monday. Um, I had gotten a DM from someone who was trying to give me inside information and saying that that was going to happen, and I responded, "Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you." But beyond that, I wasn't like, "Oh my God, Derek Carr's not going to play the last two games in a season where they don't really have a chance to make the playoffs, and he's played poorly, and if he gets hurt, they owe him, you know a guaranteed forty plus million dollars." Yeah, none of it surprised me. But we've, we've been setting this up yeah. since the offseason, since he signed the extension, and it wasn't a real extension, and it was a one-year deal. You knew this could happen. So, to me, not shocking at all. Uh, interesting marketing move. Listen, if you want to get the money, I guess, for a couple of weeks, make a little bit of interest off it, that's fine. Capitalize on the excitement. Did you see the Jaguars put up? Information on how to buy tickets for the playoffs. Whoa. You ain't in yet. Chill it. They're speaking it into existence, is how, as I believe is the phrase. Hey, you gotta get gotta get the gotta get the hype and you gotta get the you gotta get your town hype any way that you can. What are you waiting for? Get yeah, the, I don't, get I don't the blame money. Them. I don't blame them. And obviously neither one of us believes in the jinx, right? Like you just you just set yourself up, now you're not gonna make it. No. No, if anything, in something like this, well, first of all, no, there's no jinxes. But with something like this, it's almost as if they're, hey, you know what? I hope that the players see this. Let's hope that they, I mean, oh, man, now we got the fans, now we got sales, now we got this. It could drive them. It could certainly light a fire under that ass. Cofield and Company, Silver 7, 77 cent beers coming up. That is the case for every NFL game the rest of the season. We got the Cowboys 
and the Titans. Little college, a little NFL on this one. Little college, a little NFL on this one. Kevin Warren, who's been running the Big Ten, and obviously spearheaded a freaking gigantic move, getting UCLA and USC into the conference and then locking down a multi-tiered zillions of dollars deal, is rumored to be the lead candidate to be the next president of the Chicago Bears. So a couple of things here. I've seen people say the timing of this is really interesting with the Big Ten on the big stage coming up on New Year's Eve. Do you think he really wants to go back to the NFL in the past he worked for the Vikings, or is this a little leverage ploy? Hey, time to step up and pay Mr. Warren a little more money, Big Ten. Well, considering the title that he'd be going at, president, CEO, not GM, Right. I think that it's... It's a legitimate move because I think when you are like, for instance, if we were let's use the Raiders as an example, I think for all intent purposes, Sandra Douglas Morgan is a lot more secure no matter what takes place with that organization than Dave Ziegler. So for this, you're going from the Big Ten commissioner where you've just made some big moves, you've done, you've you've laid the right groundwork. Now if you go to the Bears and all of a sudden you're orchestrating moving parts, working with the coach, right? Your job might be a little more. On loose gravel. Here, President and CEO, eh, maybe he's taking it serious. Sometimes I don't know if he's I, using his leverage. I see analysis sometimes by experts and not so much experts on social media, and I find it infantile. Like, actually think through what you're saying. Uh, I never One media person was saying, choices are individual, <laughs> but I'd rather run a conference that just finished negotiating a big deal than the Chicago Bears. So what you're getting caught up in here is what the Chicago Bears have been yeah, and not thinking about what the Chicago Bears should be and could be when you are in charge of the organization, which, by the way, is trying to get a new stadium, mm-hmm. which will, I think, take that franchise to another level. And the other thing is, do people have a real understanding of what commissioners do? The way I look at it, I think there's some good in their jobs, but I think there's a lot of days where they're like, this job sucks. Because you're not really the boss. Who are the bosses in these conferences? Who's the, who, are the bo- who are the real bosses in the Big Ten? The presidents of the universities. Exactly. And to have to deal with, think about, you've got Nebraska, a piss-poor academic school, which doesn't match the Big Ten footprint, right? And what they want is all sports and all football. And then you're dealing with friggin' Northwestern, which... Ain't going to be super fired up all the time about athletics. You just went through the living hell that was trying to make decisions around COVID. So I could very much see a guy who's worked in the NFL and Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, going, you know what? Yeah, being the head of a franchise would be awesome. And And I'm done with not having real control and not really being a boss and having to listen to all these people. And he's been... He's been a big boss in a number of organizations. The Rams, the Lions, the Vikings... Um, so his, his, you know, he's, he's sort of made his bones in the NFL. He's just been the big 10 commissioner since 2020. So maybe he misses it a little bit. And you know what, when we talk about, not to keep going back to Derek Carr, but this perfect example here is what's been one of the main reasons why people have said, there's no way that Derek Carr could make it with the New York jets because of the New York media. Right? So we always talk about markets. And when you talk about markets, we hear New York, Miami, 
L.A. Let's not forget how big of a market, a yep. sports market, Chicago is. We always Massive tend to forget about Chicago too. when we bring up the New York media, Miami, these yeah. big cities. Yeah. Chicago's a major sports market. Three six four eleven hundred. A couple of giveaways right now. VIP treatment, Crazy Horse 3, Silver and Black After Party. It comes up after the game against the Niners. You walk right across the street to Crazy Horse 3, right across Russell, and you are in. You and friends get in for free. You're hooked up with some libations and a table. Caller 7 and 8 right now. Three six four eleven hundred. Sign up for an A-Play card and receive a guaranteed $10 in free play with a chance to win up to $150 in free play at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7s. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Boy, I was all fired up to do the preview of the Niners and the Raiders New Year's Day. Talk about the ticket prices. They're still up there. But... What could be a competitive game? I don't know what's going to happen now. Now, Stidham is in. Carr is out. Let's bring in Mark Willard, who covers the San Fran scene, does middays on the game in San Francisco. It's Willie. It's Cofield. What's up, Mark? How we doing, boys? What's going on? I'm looking uh, I'm looking for a Derek Carr-like job where uh, you can just, just get paid to get sent home. Are they handing those out out there? Uh, I get you could do it. I guess you could get yourself in trouble and you, may, you know maybe get maybe get fired somehow and have a no compete. And nah, I don't think it works in radio. You're right; it doesn't work that way at all. Well, get, you know what? Give me your reaction because I'm always curious. The game used to run the Raiders games, and then I think that, you know it was a pretty intense falling out with the organization and the station yep. to service the market. Though, how much Raiders talk do you guys do anymore? Oh, next to none. Yep, next to none. Although, although that that doesn't necessarily reflect. Um, you know, the idea that there are, like, no Raiders fans out here. It's just that we're, we're super serving what, what makes this city and this market tick. Like, we probably talk about the Raiders as much as we talk about the A's, and they're still here. Right. So, you know, this, this market is driven by the 49ers, the Giants, and the Golden State Warriors. Um, and then once in a while, something will come along, like a World Cup or a Masters or something like that that's, that, that'll grab our attention too, but outside of that, it's those three teams and and turn and burn. So you know the Raiders; they've got a following that's all over the West Coast because of of uh, of their history. But um, you know, with, with the departure and and the success of the 49ers during that time, you know, it, it's going to lessen even more here in the as the next few years unfold. Well, you follow all this stuff. Give me your reaction to Carr getting put on the bench. I'm not surprised by it because I think we all understand that this is a little bit deeper than just a regular benching. Um, I felt for a couple of years now that Derek Carr was one of those guys that's sort of on the line. Like, is he who you know? Is he ever going to win a Super Bowl? You look at that division and go, okay, like we can be relevant. We can be okay with Derek Carr. Are we ever going to beat Patrick Mahomes? Are we now going to beat Justin Herbert? And it feels like the answer is no. Um, so, do you give up your? I, I've long put Derek Carr on a list, and, and I'll tell you by the way, there are fans out here that get mad when I do this. But I've long put him on a list of guys in the NFL where you can be a relevant team, right. you can be okay, but do you want uh, do you want to pay that much for relevant, knowing you're not going to win a Super Bowl? Uh, Derek Carr, Dak Prescott. Probably Kyler Murray, Kirk Cousins. They're all the same dude. Like, you can be fine. You can be relevant. Are you really going to win the whole banana? I don't think so. So, 
is the effort to go find something different make sense? I think it, it probably does, but you're also taking a risk that, you, you, you know, you could end up like the Bears for a generation and be totally irrelevant looking for the next guy. Speaking with Mark Willard, host on the game in San Francisco. So that being said, Mark, I've been critical. Well, early in the season, I was critical more toward McDaniels and his play calling and saying, well, he didn't do it, get it done in Denver. And now all of a sudden, you got all these weapons here. Has Derek Carr been, been, been the benefactor of extenuating circumstances over the years? And now, when you get a guy who ran the Patriots offense, has six rings, brings this integrated system, who... Someone like Darren Waller and many guys said, hey, there's a lot to this. Are we now seeing the true colors of Derek Carr where there's no extenuating circumstances? This falls on him. Um, I don't know. I mean, you, you, you guys tell me, like, based on what you've seen this year, on a week-in and week-out basis, do you come out of games going, okay, that was a, that was a Derek Carr thing. You know, that's, that's, that's why they lost that football game. I, I just think... Um, you know, it's a little bit more intricate than, than that. I, I think there are times where that can feel limited and it can feel like one of the, the main reasons why things are, are kind of going awry. But, it's it, like, if I'm looking at the Raiders right now, you guys tell me, what do they do really well? What are they great at? Willie, what do you got? Well, I think for the if you it, it's hard to answer that because – we see two different teams every single week. So if you were to ask me what they do really well the first half of the season, they played great defense on the, in the first half of the game. And then what happened was in the second half, the offense can't sustain drives, so the defense gets tired and they blow leads. So is that Derek Carr's fault? Is that Josh McDaniel's fault? Is that play calling? There's so many questions to answer. To answer your question that you asked us, do we come out of games saying, well, that was a Derek Carr thing? I've said that maybe two, three times. Have I said it's Josh McDaniel's fault in the coaching staff? I've said that more times than I've said it's Derek Carr's fault. Right, absolutely. And so that, that's, I mean, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, to me, it's a grab bag. Um, there's nothing that they are great at. There's nothing that they're awful at. And, and quarterbacking is, 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 is a part of that, too. So, like, you know, do a juxtaposition then with the San Francisco 49ers who are coming into town this week with their third quarterback. And, and they're, they're winning all of their games. They're on a crazy eight-game win streak right now, and suddenly people think that Mr. Irrelevant is possibly a Super Bowl contender. And, and, and maybe he is great. Who knows? I don't know what he's going to become, but if you look at what's around him, you know, he, he's, he's got – there's just elite play everywhere. There's probably the best defense in football. There's Christian McCaffrey behind you. There's Trent Williams at left tackle. There's George Kittle over the middle and a solid receiving core. So I'm still of the belief that if you surrounded Derek Carr with that and, and, a, and a system that really plays, I think he can be a winning quarterback. So, you know, he's just – he's another one of those people in the NFL. I, I Like, to me – there's three kinds of quarterbacks. There's the guy who's the reason you win. There's the guy who's the reason you lose. And then there's a group of people who can kind of go either way depending on their surroundings, and I would put Carr in that group. And the problem is the surroundings, you know, it's a bit risky trying to put the roster together if those guys in that middle class, whatever it is, 10 to 18 on the quarterback list are making $35 million. How do you build the rest of the roster to look like the Niners? Well, exactly, which is, which is incredibly challenging. And there have been, 
um, you know, it's, it's taken a long time to get there, and there have been some breaks. Um, you know, let, let, make, make no mistake about it. I mean, they, they obviously jumped with, with, uh, with some draft capital, but, I mean, this season has actually gone, the, the, like, if you go back to, to August, the way this season played out was the absolute nightmare scenario for the 49ers. Right, they end up right. sort of with their tail between their legs with the Jimmy situation. Then they hand everything over to Trey. He breaks his ankle. And, and you know, it's like this is and – then, and then Jimmy stabilizes it, and he breaks a foot. And so this was supposed to be uh, a dead deal. And then it turns out they might have stumbled into something that's, that, uh, that's pretty special at, uh, at the end of the draft. But, you know, like to, to answer your original question, putting something like this together, this took years of – uh, you know, the Niners have even been sort of criticized for, in some cases for what they've done at the tops of drafts. What hasn't been talked about enough is what they've done at the bottom of drafts, which has been incredible. George Kittle's a fifth-rounder. Fred Warner's a fifth-rounder. Dre Greenlaw's a fifth-rounder. They turned some late draft capital into Trent Williams. Um, so they've, that, that's been a big piece of this, too. And it's hard to, as a fan, I think, ask for your team to go out and do that. Like, go find pro bowlers in the fifth round. That, you know, like, if that's the key to making it all work, that's, that's, a, that's a tough scenario. And so the 49ers have kind of struck some gold there. Mark Willard with us from the game in San Fran as the Niners coming to town to take on the Raiders. Uh, Jimmy G, say he's available for the playoffs. Where do you fall in this debate? You know, I was sitting at a bar in Southern California the other day, a bunch of Niners fans, and, you know, they're all in on Brock Purdy. They're like, hey, we want Brock Purdy moving forward. Where are you? I, this, Jimmy Garoppolo is not playing again for this team unless Brock Purdy gets hurt. That's Ooh, what I would say. Okay. The reason, the reason I'm all in on that is not just because I love what I've seen from Brock Purdy, but take this a step further. The question isn't, you know, would you go to Jimmy in the playoffs? Essentially, the question is, would you go to Jimmy in the NFC Championship game? That's when he's going to be ready. Well, the question to me dies on the vine, because if you're in the NFC Championship game, then Brock Purdy has continued to do what he's already done. So essentially, you're saying you would bench a guy who's on like an eight-game win streak and, and three of those or two of those wins would be in the playoffs, why would you why would you bench that guy? That seems like a crazy scenario for somebody who would have been on the shelf for, for two months. So it's not that I'm ready to definitely say Brock Purdy's better than, than Jimmy Garoppolo. He is different. He does some things that would encourage me uh, if I was a Jimmy Garoppolo doubter. But the bigger thing for me is if the 49ers get that far, uh, Purdy has obviously continued this run and I, you know, as they as they said in Bull Durham, you don't mess with the streak. Have you seen any warts with Purdy? Like, what do we need to be worried about here in, in you know, the effort of him trying to lead them to a championship? Yeah, the only thing that, that, that people will point to is what I guess you probably could have known even before he was drafted, which is that there's not a whole lot of, of like, he doesn't have a howitzer arm. He's never going to be a guy who can you know, throw the ball 65 yards on a dime on the run. Um, but the 49ers don't run a system that calls for that. When he's thrown the ball downfield, it has been accurate. It has been on time. It has been a good decision. And, and that's really all they need him to do. Like, what he does differently than Jimmy Garoppolo is he moves. So when a play does break down, like there have been some key plays where all he did was just move out of the way and throw the ball away so that it's a zero play instead of a negative play. 
And that's, that's been big because, as we said, they've got so much around him that I think there's going to be plenty of positive plays as long as you avoid the major negative ones. You're going to be, you're going to give your team a pretty good chance to win. And, and that's what he's done. So, yeah, he's not going to throw the ball over your head, you know, like, like Mahomes or Herbert will. But he plays pretty damn mistake free football so far. And, uh, and with this group around him, that's pretty dangerous. I know you wanted to come to town for the game. What was your final decision? Are you coming to town? Well, ask the uh, executives of Southwest Airlines. I, ah, I, I will, I will right. be there. I will be there provided that they can get me there. We have a Saturday afternoon flight. If it goes in the air, I'm going to be on it. <laughs> if not, then we're going to have to uh, figure out what plan B, C, and D are the same way so many people have been dealing with. I've already gotten Southwest once this week. Uh, hopefully it's not twice. So, yeah, hopefully I'll see you guys there. Is there any part of you that thinks the Niners, seeing that at Stidham, that the Raiders, yeah, they're not saying they're packing it in, but the, you know, the, the visual here is that they're packing it in. Is there any part of you that's a little bit worried that this could be a flat spot for the Niners? I mean, the 49ers are in an interesting spot because they, they really don't, they don't need, need, need these games. You know what I mean? That was already the case even on Christmas Eve against Washington. Sure, they're going for the two-seed but I don't know how scared they are of, of having to potentially travel to Minnesota in, in the playoffs. I don't think that scares them that much. So, yeah, there's a little piece of me that wonders. It's like, do you relax? Because, you know, the division is wrapped up. The three seed, nothing worse than that, is wrapped up. Um, now you're dealing with a, a, an inexperienced backup quarterback. But I, I doubt it. There's a little piece of me that wonders, but I doubt it. It's a, it's a veteran team. It's a very thirsty team because of how close they've been twice the last four years. Um, and so I think they're, they're, they're pretty good at keeping the pedal to pedal. On the flip side of that, though, you got a guy like Stidham who's coming in, and Raiders may have a, a decimal point of a chance to make the playoffs, but at the same token, just like when Brock Purdy got his chance and shined, there could be something to, to be said about well, you know what? If Carr's on his way out and they're talking about wheeling and dealing for someone, how about if I step up and prove my worth to this organization? Jared Stidham may have a little something to prove. I mean, there's no question that he can let it rip, right? I mean, he got absolutely, what an opportunity. He's got nothing to lose. And if it's not with the Raiders, you know how this league works. If you put something good on tape, you're going to find a home. And, and uh, there's no better place to do that than against the best defense in football. But that's the problem. The problem is it's the best defense in football, and they're as healthy as they've been all year long. And so if I'm a young quarterback, I do know usually what I, what I need to succeed is, uh, is to have a run game. And no one has been able to run the get ball against this team all year long. Um, and, and so it's, just, it, it's a little bit hard to imagine that a young guy – is going to come in in this situation and just torch this uh, this defense, which I think at this point in the year is is kind of untorchable. But you know, you, you make an interesting point. Like, but, but could the 49ers have their shoulders down a little bit? And Stidham comes in and uh, and he's got to you know just throw it all out there, kind of an attitude. I will say that could mean something early. The 49ers a couple times in this run have been hit in the mouth real quick. First quarter, Chargers went right down the field, 7-0. Dolphins, bang, first play of the game, 7-0. But every time that's happened, 
that's been a wrap. It's like it woke them up, and they're like, you're not scoring on us uh, the rest of the game. And, and, uh, and so uh, if Stidham does that, he's going to be doing something that, uh, that almost no one's been able to do this year. Mark, we appreciate it. Rooting for you to get here uh, unscathed with no uh, flight issues. If you do, enjoy the game. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. There he is, host of Willard and Dibbs, midday show on the game in San Francisco. Coming up in about 15, we'll talk a little uh, XFL, but coming back, we've got to get to what happened to the running Rebels last night after a, a great start. They wound up losing on the road for the first time in forever against San Jose State, and now the schedule gets pretty daunting in the Mountain West Conference. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3 to 6 show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and company. Willie, hockey duties last night, or did you get to watch any of the UNLV game? I was watching the hockey, and I actually... I passed out before the end of that game. I was trying to catch up, and I woke up to reading results of um, just after that wild game between Arkansas and Kansas, um, the Texas Tech game, the Golden Knights, the Rebels had to play catch-up. So the Rebels wound up losing at San Jose State, which I think is shocking to folks who aren't paying attention this year that San Jose is a bit improved. Yes. It's not a good loss. Uh, They were favored by... Five on the road, and if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna make the NCAA tournament, and you're sitting in the net, you know, in the in the 70s, you probably have to go 12 and six, and make a run in the Mountain West Conference tournament to get an at-large bid, right? Or or get the auto bid by winning the tournament. So losing to San Jose State is a blow, and it means I have to make that game up, maybe even this weekend against San Diego State or at New Mexico. The conference has become a lot tougher. And last night, the way the game played out, it appeared to me in the first half, uh, one, that it was a trap game. You've got a lot of guys who haven't played the Mountain West Conference, right? You walk into that San Jose gym and you're like, okay, what is this? It's a high school gym. There's no one there. So... The potential is there you could overlook a team like San Jose State with San Diego State on the way. So that's a problem. And I think for anyone who's watched the entire season, the the absence of Elijah Parquet is really hitting these last three games. Uh, he was the head of their defense. He's their best defender. Kruger has said that. Players have said that. And with his absence, their D has become less effective. And because their rotation is only, when he's around, nine deep, now everyone has to play more minutes, and they have looked tired at the end of some of these games. I, I think the, the, as far as the atmosphere is concerned, um, I think that in 2022, 23, that, that excuse is tired. Like, okay, we went to this little gym, and you're looking around, and this little crowd, whatever. Okay, if anything, feed off of it and just run with it. I think you nailed it on the head in that they were looking ahead to San Diego State. They chalked this one up before they got there, and when they looked up, they were the bully that got punched in the mouth, and they couldn't recover. San Jose State's now 2-2 two and two against quad 1-2 and two teams, 5-0 and oh against quad 4. So they climbed in the recent net rankings from 125 to 117. You're right. They're going to have to make it up. It's a bad loss. 
But you cannot overlook when you're UNLV. You cannot overlook it. I, you know, I somewhat liken it to maybe San Francisco or BYU in the West Coast Conference overlooking a San Diego. You know, and then all of a sudden get shocked, and now you got to turn around and you got to beat Gonzaga or St. Mary's, and that's where UNLV's put itself with this loss. It's a terrible way to open up the conference by looking ahead to San Diego State on New Year's Eve. We're going to have a big crowd, whatever it is that you're thinking, because you can't do that, especially against a scrappy team like this, five and one at home. So I, I, I'm going to throw the, the tiny gym out the window because if you're a good team and you've been playing defense the way you've been playing and playing against the competition you've been playing, that should, you, that, that should not be the problem. I think it's exactly what you said. You're missing your best player. And then when you get knocked in the teeth by the lesser team, it's hard to recover without, without your best guy. Yeah, they played poorly for the final seven minutes of the first half and had a run put on them, so they were down 11 at the half. Yeah, came out in the second, and they made a great run to take the lead, but I think it took so much out of them because they did a lot of it defensively, and E.J. Harkless took off and had a big second half. But it took so much to get back and then take the lead. You saw a lot of sloppy play, well, a lot of turnovers on offense. Um, and I'll, 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 the other thing i got to say, San Jose State has a borderline NBA player on the roster. In Amari Moore, who's a 6'5", 6'6", dude who plays both guard positions. And they simply could not stay in front of him. And that's what I'm talking about with the parquet difference yeah. on defense. And I also, I don't think uh, Kashawn Gilbert is 100%. I think he may have been affected by the travel woes. If you didn't see it, Gilbert didn't get back in time to practice the last couple of days before the game. He got stuck in St. Louis. Uh, from what I had heard and sent out, I think it was his dad who had to drive him from St. Louis to Denver. They ended up fly from Denver to San Fran, then took rideshare to get down to San Jose. But he missed a couple of practices. He was a little dinged up in the last game. Uh, last night at the end of the game, it looked like he had tweaked, I think, his right leg. And he wasn't as effective defensively. Amari Moore beat them off the dribble whenever he wanted. And here's the thing. He didn't score a bunch, and he didn't shoot that well. Like He was 0 for 6 from 3. I think he was 4 13 from the floor. But they had to use so much help defense on him that there was someone open, especially on the skip pass, and they had a bunch of threes in the corner, and that's what kind of got them in the end is that Omari Moore having to defend him because they didn't have one guy who could really stay in front of him. He set up everyone else. And that shouldn't be an excuse, but travel issues, but also um, what should not be an excuse is like first game out of Christmas break. These are, you know, we talk about the pros all the time. and we Forget the holidays. We talk about, in general, pro teams, right, coming home after a long road trip. It takes a couple games, whatever, but – these kids that may have went home for the holidays, the kids that had a little bit of time off, whatever, to, to now, you, now you're coming back to prepare, and then you got to turn around and travel. Yeah. So. Tough spot. Could, Tough yeah, spot. Got to win the game, but they didn't. Now they got to make it up with uh, some sort of road win against someone. They'll, they'll be a dog against the next two games, home against San Diego State at New Mexico. So they don't play well. They could be staring at 0-3 in the face after this great start, 0-3 in the Mountain West Conference. And I'll just say a – a bigger, lively crowd. The crowd's been lively at the Thomas and Mac. A bigger crowd against San Diego State will help a lot because that place, even with six, seven, eight thousand people in it, you start pushing eight, nine, it can get loud, and they could get this right back and pull the upset on San Diego State. But you fans, you know, you're part of this too. Yeah, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that how big this game is. I got news for you: this game's even bigger now. So 
It's without a doubt. Uh, you UNLV fans that have been clamoring for a winning team, well, guess what? They're 11-2 now. They, they need you more maybe than they did prior to when we kept saying, hey, get out there because uh, they have to pull this win off. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Every week we get to uh, check in with the XFL Vipers and see what's going on with the roster and Cool to hear that uh, one of our hometown heroes, former Green Valley High School player, Isaiah Macklin, is going to be making a run at this team and at this league. Willie Cofield here. Isaiah is up with Cofield and Company. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about you? We're good. How was your Christmas? Oh, it was great. I can't complain. I got to spend time with my family, which is always great. Awesome. And no travel snafus? Excuse me, what was that? No travel issues? Oh, no, no. I was here in Vegas. All right, so tell us what it's like to be back in Vegas because, you know, we'll talk about your journey around college football, but to be back in Vegas and actually have a chance to play football here on the professional level in Vegas. Man, it's a great opportunity, especially uh, continuing to play the sport that I love, and especially in the uh, town that I was born and raised in. Um, I'm just extremely blessed for that opportunity. You spent some time, uh, Isaiah, with the Jets rookie minicamp, um, what what sort of things did you pick up that have maybe stuck with you that you feel maybe gives you a a step up, a little a little uh, jump, a little advance heading into uh, the XFL season? Um, I think one thing I was uh, getting used to was just learning plays, a, a whole diff- diff- different playbook. Um, I was able to pick up the playbook uh, a lot faster than I thought, and I think that's going to help me transition over to the XFL. So I want to ask you real quick about your, your um, you know, you, you spent your first three seasons at San Diego State, but you earned third-team All-American, or All-MEAC honors, excuse me, at North Carolina Central, a historic black college. Of course, we've heard a lot's been made with um, Deion Sanders and, and what he's done, not just for HBCU schools, but just on a national level. Did you feel yourself, did you feel an impact um, during his time there, your time there in that conference, an effect that, you know, for everybody? What, what sort of impact did you see him have, not just nationally or in the conference, but for yourself? Deion says it is a tremendous thing for HBCUs all over. Um, I think he just gave a lot of exposure. Just uh, For example, like uh, I went to the HBCU Legacy Bowl, and just because of that, I got a lot more exposure. A lot more scouts were able to see me. Um, it was also on the NFL films and stuff. So uh, just that alone, just the exposure for HBCUs made a big difference. Isaiah Macklin's with us, one of the Vipers, working at tight end. Um, let's go back. Uh, again, we'll get to San Diego State in a second. I, I wanted to follow up on what Willie was saying about North Carolina Central. So what was the experience there uh, versus San Diego State? What was the experience difference for you? Um, I think the biggest thing was homecoming. Homecomings are, are completely different. It's just something that you have to experience. And, um, uh, as far as going to SDSU, uh, it was great being in San Diego. I love the environment, uh, and the team was great. Um, I think that just the biggest thing was 
obviously, uh, how should I put this? I think with PWIs and then HBCUs, you're able to just get different experiences from homecoming. Right. Nice way to put it. Um, who was your lead recruiter when you decided uh, out of Green Valley to go to San Diego State? Uh, Jeff Horton. Okay. All right. Yeah, there's quite a there's quite a uh, Vegas um, hook with a couple of coaches on that San Diego State staff. Why did you pick San Diego State in the first place? Um, first, it was away from home, but not too far. It's only about a four or five hour drive, and then of course you just can't beat the weather in San Diego State. And then also there's just the coaches. Uh, also, Hunky Cooper was my receiver coach, and he was just a great mentor and everything. So I got it. You know, here's the thing. There's the local coaches for UNLV over the course of the years, and this past staff before uh, Barry Odom was brought in was given a lot of ridicule, a lot of criticism for not recruiting locally. Um, which staff was on when you were at Green Valley? I'm assuming it was Tony Sanchez's. Were you recruited, first of all? Yes, uh, it was Tony Sanchez that was uh, recruiting me. He was, okay. I've always argued that 90% of the kids, especially if they're getting D1 offers, they want to leave their hometown. They're, they they don't want to stay home. There's there's something about the college experience. Forget just college football, college basketball, college baseball. It doesn't matter what it is. Cheerleading. They want to go on the road and get away from home. How much did that play a part in you wanting to leave Southern Nevada? Uh, that was a big part. For my situation, that was a big part just because I wanted to experience something different. And me always being in Vegas, uh, I just – I think something different. I think everyone should experience something different in college and get away from home just to uh, help you grow also. Isaiah Macklin's with us. How strongly did you yes. consider how, how strongly did you consider UNLV? Uh, actually, at first, just because my mind was set on moving away from home, but actually doing like a um, visit thing, meeting the coaches, I actually considered UNLV and uh, was talking to my parents, and it was a tough decision between San Diego State and UNLV. What about when you transferred? Did uh, did anyone come at you from UNLV at that point? Uh, no, not at that point. No one contacted me from UNLV. Huh. Well, that's interesting. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the XFL. Um, what have you seen from the league that gives you hope that you know this is going to be a successful venture and give you a real chance to play? You know, at that level, right beneath the NFL. What do you like about the XFL? Uh, I I, tr- I truly believe in the league right now. I think it's going to be great things. I think it can be compared to. Um, like the G League and the NBA, I think for players that need that extra year development or anything, uh, I think this can really help them, especially me in my situation, playing tight end, moving to this position and being new to it. It will help me kind of develop more and um, show my skills off. You talked about learning plays with the, in the Jets minicamp. So are you looking to sort of improve on things that you felt got you cut um, or, you know, released from, from, from camp there? Uh, from the rookie camp to hopefully get back? Are there certain areas? Are you trying to use this as a stepping stone, or is it something like, hey, I'm just going with the flow, and I'm going to take advantage of this situation, and whatever happens, happens? Uh, yeah, I'm always continuing to trying to grow uh, in my game and trying to improve. Uh, the, obviously, my goal is to make it to the next level, back to the NFL. Um, I think my biggest thing is blocking, and that's something I'm excited to learn and keep on growing in. Uh, I think my, my, my biggest upside is just my route running. So, Isaiah, we appreciate a couple minutes. Uh, when, you're, uh, when you have a little more free time, we'll get you uh, a spot in person. But we, uh, we thank you for coming on today. 
Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate y'all for having me. There he is, Isaiah Macklin, part of the Vipers. You can go up to XFL.com, click on the Vegas page. You can put down deposits for tickets right now, reserve your spot. They'll be announcing uh, where they're going to play, hopefully sooner than later. It's getting pretty late in the game, but things really start rolling after the new year, right, Willie? Yeah. You're going to be out there covering this team? I don't know. What do you think? Like, how much how much attention is AP going to give the XFL? I don't think any. If anything, there may be, like, the kickoff, and it'll probably be the main kickoff, wherever that'll be, maybe the championship. Um, I don't necessarily think that Associated Press is going to have game-by-game coverage. And if anything, they will do like they normally do, um, maybe from the college desk up in Spokane where they do some certain things and they'll put a roundup together. But I don't imagine them covering on a regular basis. What will be cool will be um, the, the sort of enterprising projects that I do for other entities, other pro leagues, um, and during specific seasons like the WNBA, the NBA Summer League, is maybe possibly be reaching out to hometown papers when other teams visit Las Vegas or some of the players that are on the Vipers, um, you know, you kind of scout the, the, the rosters and see who were big stars in their towns, and you play that, here's what they're doing now. So, for instance, for us, let's say, uh, let's say it was in a different city and we found out about it and he had a big game for some team in Birmingham for some town, we'd get him on the radio or there'd be hype about him in his hometown. So try to generate some hometown interest in um, some of the players and enterprise stories that way. What do you think when you hear this kid who's, you know, he's gotten a look from the NFL, he's going to play pro football. What do you think when you hear that, I don't know, did he really strongly consider UNLV? Versus San Diego State, I don't know. I know you made the point about a lot of kids want to get out of town. When the when he's in the transfer portal and he lands at North Carolina Central and he actually has a you know productive close to his career, what do you what do you think the I last th- years going back to Sanchez and because the the one that really gets you is well, Dal- well, Dalton Kincaid, who's a tight end at Utah, who's going to the NFL. He's going to be a top five tight end picked in the draft. Didn't have any offers coming out of Faith Lutheran. Landed at San Diego, then goes to Utah. Had what a what was it, 16-catch game, 15-catch game against USC, a top prospect. He was here. It just it feels like it, and I think Odom's going to try, and I think they've got some big things coming up in terms of the, you know, embracing the local high school scene. What do you think about how UNLV has handled local recruiting when you see so many guys go out of town and, and also getting beat by Horton and Hunky all the time? Well, first of all, they're going to get beat by Hunky. I don't care who's in here. They're going to get beat because of exactly what I said. Um, and I think to answer how you started this question in terms of how seriously did they take it, I think any local kid that's recruited by UNLV outside of a Power Five, outside of the Gorman kids, the Dorian thompson Robinsons, Tate Martells, Brevin Jordans, outside of those top dogs in, in, the, in the local high schools, any kid that's given a, a scholarship offer to come to UNLV full ride, You'll never pay a dime out of pocket. Your education will be paid for. They're all going to say they considered it down to the end. You know why? Because mom is in their ear going, stay home, stay home with us, even though they have to live on campus. But when you have your parents in your ear, and you're, who, are you, you, who are you confiding with? You're not confiding with anybody. You're confiding, you know, when Julian Strother was recruited to the Blue Bloods and Gonzaga, you know, Paris, his sister, starts for the UNLV Lady Rebels. He's playing for the honor of his mother. He's representing Puerto Rico. 
who did he confide with most? Lee, you know, uh, his father. So UNLV was a consideration because he could stay home with his family. But when it comes down to it, these kids want to leave, period. End of story. They want to go out of town. I do find it interesting, though, that uh, Hunky and Horton have had so much success well, yeah. getting wide receivers and tight ends. When when you look at the quarterback success at San Diego State, it's been borderline putrid. So they're doing a freaking great job getting weapons in spite of the fact that it doesn't look like the quarterback can always get you the ball.